Welcome to the Overwhelmed Brain, where you'll learn to make decisions that are right for you so that you can create the life you want now. Hello, this is Paul Coliani, host of the Overwhelmed Brain, the personal growth show for the critical thinker. All right, today's quote is by Thomas Huxley, and it's this. It is not who is right, but what is right that is of importance. There's a process in neuro-linguistic programming called chunking. And if you don't know what NLP is, it's a study of communication and how the mind processes and transcodes information. Chunking down is when you drill down into more specific examples of an idea. And chunking up is when you find other, more abstract concepts of that idea. So if you pick any word or comment, you can chunk up or down to learn more about your thoughts about that word or comment. It's, it's kind of strange, so I'll give you some examples. For one example, you could go, I bought a car. Now, there's a lot left out of that comment. So in order to find out more information you would chunk down on that comment. So you drill down, you chunk down or drill down into the details so you can extract more information. So you might ask, what kind of car is it? What color is it? How many doors does it have? What year is it? And so on. Or you might want to find out why they got the car in the first place, which would be a more abstract or bigger picture view of things. This is when you chunk up and get the bigger picture. You could ask questions like, what made you decide to get that car? Why get a car instead of a motorcycle? Did you already have a car? Why didn't you keep using that car? And so on. The point is, chunking is a great way to figure things out in your head. You chunk up on ideas to look at the bigger picture, and you chunk down to look into more of the details. Chunking down is what I use when I want to explore one of my client's thoughts or emotions. If my client says, I feel so angry, I'll chunk down and learn what they're angry about and how they feel that anger and maybe what else they feel and who they feel it towards. There are so many details that you can get by drilling or chunking down into specifics. But I also chunk up to find out what the anger is a bigger part of. For example, I might ask, what else are you besides angry? Or before that anger, was there a thought or another emotion that came up? I play with language in a way that helps you explore all angles so that you get a broader scope about what you're going through and what thoughts and emotions are coming up for you. Anyway, the reason I mentioned chunking is because today's quote has a lot to do with chunking information and how to keep a stable head during heated debate or arguments. I'll repeat the quote. It's this. It is not who is right, but what is right that is of importance. Now think about an argument that you're having with a significant other or a family member or a coworker. Think about the details of that argument. Arguments are energized by details. When you keep details in an argument, like, you left the cap off the toothpaste. I'm so mad at you. And then the other person goes, you never take the garbage out. No, let's get back to the toothpaste. You always leave the cap off the toothpaste. I want you to put that cap back on the toothpaste 
or whatever the argument turns into. It's very specific. It's talking about the details. When you argue about the details, you keep energy, you keep negativity in the argument. And the argument continues to hurt both people that are doing it. You can feel it when you're arguing. It's very specific and and both of you feel like you have to defend a point. Now, if you were to chunk up on those details in your argument or in your conversation or whatever you're talking about with someone, instead of worrying about who's right and what the details are, think about what is right. What is of true importance here? If someone's upset that you left the toothpaste cap off, what is the bigger picture here? Let's chunk up on this. Why are you upset? That's a great question. Why are you upset that the toothpaste cap is off? And what do they come up with? They might say something like, it's going to affect the toothpaste. It'll harden or whatever they come up with. Then you ask and try to chunk up some more. You want a bigger picture of what's going on here, a grander scale of things. So you take a step back out of the details and go, yeah, but why does that upset you? Why is that a problem? And then they're going to say, because whatever they come up with, they could say, you know, I buy this toothpaste. I spend a lot of money on groceries and you treat it like you don't care because you don't buy it. You know, and when this piece of information comes out, you might be like, wow, I had no idea that's how you felt that you were wasting money or that I was wasting your money. You know, some detail might come out from chunking up, from getting the bigger picture. And then you can address that and you can say, oh, so when I leave the toothpaste cap off, what you're saying is that it's like I'm wasting your money. And if they go, yes, yes, you get it. Then you're finally stepping out of argument mode and you're stepping into understanding mode. This is where it's important to understand where people are coming from. How do you understand where people are coming from? You chunk up. You find out the bigger picture. Now, if you don't understand their argument and you need to have more details, that's when you chunk down. Like if they said, why do you always do that in the bathroom? You're not going to know what that is. You could say, what do you mean? What, why do I always do what? You know, you always do the same thing every day with the toothpaste. And if you still don't know, you chunk down. You drill down into the details. And you say, you ask questions like, what specifically are you referring to? Or what specifically do I do? And then they'll say, what do you mean? <laughs> you know what you do. And then you can say whatever comes to mind next. You know, I don't know what I do. Please tell me specifically. You leave the toothpaste cap off the toothpaste. And then you can talk about that and then start chunking up again to find out why that's a problem or how that's a problem in their life. So chunking is a great way. Chunking up to find the bigger picture or chunking down to drill down to the details is a great way to get out of the space you're in to understand someone else or understand yourself even, the thoughts that you have that come up. For example, if you get emotionally triggered by something, you can do this chunking up or chunking down process. If someone says something and you go, oh, that angers me. Why am I angry? You know, that's a, a question you go, why am I angry? And that will help you drill down a little bit, chunk down. Well, I'm angry about what he said. Yeah, but what did he say specifically that made, he, that made me angry? Well, he said 
that he was going to borrow my car again. Yeah, but how specifically does that make me angry? What about that makes me angry? That's another great question. A what about question. What about that specifically makes me angry? Well, he said he was going to borrow my car. I don't want my car borrowed. I don't want him to borrow my car. Yeah, but what about that specifically makes me angry? You're talking to yourself. And drill down, drill down, chunk down, chunk down until you get to a very specific cause for your anger. And then, of course, you can chunk up when you say, oh, that makes me angry. Okay, how did I get to this anger? Now, that's an interesting question because now you're going to the reasons or the, the causes from an opposite place. You're, you're coming back up into more abstract concepts of why you're angry. So a good way to find out why you're angry, besides asking, why am I angry, is to ask yourself questions that reveal what led you to the anger in the first place. I know that's an odd way to think about it, but just say to yourself, okay, I'm upset. All right. Why am I upset? That's usually the first question. Why am I upset? I'm upset because he wants he wants to borrow my car. Now, if we were to drill down like we just did, you'd find out all the very specifics about how that's a problem in your life. But if we were to uh, chunk up and find out how you got to this anger or upset in the first place, you can say, "Wait, wait, wait." You take a step back in your mind. You know, you you get the bigger picture of what's going on here. What's causing me? to feel this upset? That's another great question if you want to chunk up. What's causing me to feel this upset? And you might go back into details. Well, he wants to borrow my car and I don't want that. Well, step back and think about what's actually causing this upset. This is where you move backwards in your mind, backwards in time even, to figure out what caused the anger in the first place. Don't think about specifically that he's borrowing your car. Think about why that would make you angry in the first place from the sense of if you were to go back in time and remember the first time you felt this same anger, you'll notice your mind expands a little bit or even a lot to include other times that you were angry. These are other examples of when you felt this type of upset or anger. And when you get into that space, It's not so much about the specific situation that's happening now. It's about all the times that you felt this anger and what it has to do with how you're progressing in life. Because if you still get upset about similar things and it's the same upset over and over and over again, that's probably what needs resolved in your life. Not the idea of someone borrowing your car in this example. But why you're getting upset over and over and over again about the same things or about similar things. And when you find out what it is in your past that caused you to feel this type of upset in the first place, you reveal a lot about yourself. You reveal something to work on. And when you have something to work on, you have a path to a solution. You have a path to healing. And that's what's most important. So when you find yourself embroiled in the details, like this quote, it is not who is right, but what is right that is important. The details are defending yourself. Who's right? I want to be right. I'm going to argue this point until uh, my righteousness 
overpowers theirs because you both believe you're right in, in an argument, for example. But if you chunk up and figure out not who is right, but what is right, what is right in the grand scheme of all of what's going on here, if we're in a relationship, is it about who is right or is it about what is right for the relationship, for the feelings, for the emotions involved, for the, the bigger picture, for the family, for the house, for the city you live in? I mean, if you really want to chunk it up higher, for the state that you live in, for the world that you're in, what is right will lead you to a bigger picture, take you out of the negative energy of the heated debate or argument and give you just a a bird's eye view of what's going on and what's most important. This is what I do when I get really upset or angry or even fearful. If I get fearful of anything, there's a process that I do of chunking up that helps me step out of the details and thinking of the very specific things that are causing my upset and gives me a bigger picture of what's going on. And what I do is I chunk up to the extreme and I go, wow, I am one person on a planet with billions of people in a solar system, (laughs) in a universe filled with probably billions and billions of planets. I am this one person. Why is this problem so important when I think about my placement in the entire totality of it all? Why is my little problem here in this room with this person so important that I need to get upset when I am just this individual in this entire universe of possibility? And when I do that, it's sort of a a meditation and a healing path out of the mess. It's a way to evolve from the situation. It's a way to get out of the boiling water so that I can see the bigger picture, find out what's causing the water to boil in the first place, and look at the kitchen from above and, and step back even further and look at the house and the city and the state and the world that I'm in if I'm going to stretch this analogy to the max. When you can step out of the details and look at the bigger picture of anything, when you can chunk up out of the details and look at more abstract concepts, you get out of your own way. You get out of self-righteousness so that you're no longer in a, a place of arguing or feeling bad. You're in a place of what's the best path for everyone involved. If you love someone, is it better to be right so that they feel bad? Or is there a bigger picture here in what's right for everyone that you can both come to an agreement with? They may not want to step off their pedestal and get out of their self-righteousness, but when you do, it gives them the door to either walk through or not to follow you there. So that's my commentary on this quote today. Chunk up to take a step back and see the bigger picture or chunk down to drill down into the details and try this with anything. So when you get a chance, just try chunking up or chunking down on something that's bothering you in life and you'll notice all the different angles that you can look at the problem or the challenge. You'll notice that all these different angles come to mind and when you have these angles in mind, 
You can have different thoughts around them. And then you'll find out that some things weren't as important as you thought them to be at one time. Or maybe you find out that they're even more important and you learn something new about yourself, which is always a great place to end up. Anyway, let's get to our next segment called Ask Paul. Okay, this next segment is Ask Paul. It's where I read a listener email on the air and do my best to help them through the challenge. Here's the letter. I'm a recent college graduate and I'm having trouble finding a job. It has already been several months since I graduated and I'll have to start paying my student loans back in about four months. Where I live, it is much harder to find a job and or social services that can help me. My parents keep pushing me to take any job, but that makes me feel like I'm not respecting my personal boundaries. The second problem is my relationship with a certain family member is currently on the rocks. I feel as if I've tried to resolve the conflict, but I haven't actually went as far to let her know that I think there's a problem. She's not a very open person and doesn't usually display her affection outwardly, at least towards me. I want desperately to repair this relationship, but I don't know how. I do think a good first step would be to admit that there is a problem, but I don't know where to go from there. The final problem is that I want to attend graduate school in hopes that I'll be able to find a job in my field afterward. However, I'm also interested in developing a fallback plan, and one of those plans means further schooling at a local community college so that I can be certified to work in my field of choice. This program will take three semesters, which means one of two things. In a nutshell, I can go one direction and attend graduate school by August of 2016, but if I can't take the interim semesters, I would have to start it in 2017. The second option would help me to save more money, but I prefer the first one so I can start graduate school earlier, which is what I originally planned. I hope to hear back from you, but I know you must receive a ton of emails. <laughs> you are correct. So don't rush to answer. Sincerely, Bill. Which is not his real name. So if you know a Bill in this situation, that's not him. <laughs> or it could be, but not this letter writer. All right, Bill, thanks for writing. You have quite a few things going on here, and I'm going to address them one at a time and do my best to see if I can help you here. The first thing you said is that you're a recent college graduate. Congratulations. And you're having trouble finding a job. Uh, that doesn't surprise me too much. <laughs> Sorry to say. And it's already been several months since you graduated, and you will have to start paying your student loans back in about four months. Now, that's not so much what you're asking me about. You're saying that where you live, it's harder to find a job and or social services that can help you. But your parents keep pushing you to take any job. And that makes you feel like you're not respecting your personal boundaries. You know I'm all about respecting your personal boundaries. So here's where I want to guide you with this. Well, before I say anything, actually, do you still live at home? And the reason I ask that is because when you're living at home, parents will make the rules. Unless you're paying rent like any other renter would, those rules will probably need to be followed unless you want to create resistance in your family. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't respect your personal boundaries, but I am saying that when you are in a situation where someone's paying all or most of the bills, you will be subject to more structure and organization that you do not have control over. That's how it is with almost anything. If you work for someone, 
you're going to fall under the guidelines of their structure, of their organization. Home is the same way. If you're under your parents' thumb right now, there is structure that you need to follow because it's their house, their house, their rules. This is my opinion. That's not my advice because I've lived with my parents and I know what it's like, but I also know that unless I'm paying full rent like any other person would, I probably don't have much say. Now, let's talk about your specific issue. You say your parents keep pushing you to take any job, and that makes you feel like you're not respecting your boundaries. Well, first of all, when someone's pushing you in any way to do something that you don't like, they have not yet violated your personal boundaries until you take action. In fact, no one can actually violate your personal boundaries unless you let them. So that's the first most important point. Your personal boundaries are what you respect and honor for yourself. So if someone comes along and says, you need to do this and you decide not to, then you're honoring your personal boundaries. But your parents saying, you need to get a job, any job, and you decide not to, because that is a boundary that you've set in place because you don't want to just get any job, you want to get a specific job, you are honoring your personal boundaries. So if anything, it's more that they are not honoring your personal boundaries. Now, before you think I'm in agreement with you, I'm not really agreeing with what's going on here in the sense that when there's a situation like this where you are under someone else's rule, if you're living there, you may not be living there, and this could go either way though, because our parents are always our parents and they and we are always their children, at least in the physical sense of family. So whether you live with them or not, here's my suggestion on how to approach this. The first thing you want to do is be very clear on what's most important to you about family. Now, the reason I want you to do this is because when you figure out what's most important about family, every decision that you make will include these, what I call values, will include these values or be in alignment with these values so that you're always making decisions that somehow benefit you and benefit your family as well. So make the list of what's most important to you about family. If one of those things is enjoying quality time together and you decide to vehemently disagree and tell them that they're wrong, that might go against your value of enjoying quality time together. It might be true as well. They might be wrong about what they're suggesting that you do. But it's important to know what's most important to you about family. What's most important about your relationship with your family? List a bunch of items down and then order them from most important to least important. Come up with about five or ten of them. And then when you have your list, know that every decision that you make can be evaluated against this list or will be evaluated against this list. At least that's what I suggest. Evaluate your decisions when it comes to family against this list. And when you do, you'll make decisions that are most beneficial for everyone involved. Now that's step one. Step two is to do the same thing about your future career. List all the most important things that you want in your career. The most important things about having a career. If the most important thing is having a job that pays 
six figures a year, then put that on your list. If it's not the most important, then just put it on your list anyway if you want it. If you need to have weekends off, put that on your list. Put everything that's very important or the most important things that you can think of on that list. And then again, order them in importance from most important to least important. And then when you make decisions about your career, you'll evaluate against those values as well. And you can do this for any major area of life. And this will help you determine not only your values, but also why you have the personal boundaries that you do as well. Now, here's the third and probably most important step. List the values of having a satisfying life. What does it take to have a satisfying life? Write down everything you can think of, or at least come up with 10 of them, in what it takes to have a satisfying life. Maybe that's having love, relationships, family, uh, money, a place to live, hobbies, you know, recreational things. List all the things that you can come up with. You can be more specific than that if you'd like. And then order those in value of importance as well. Now, the reason I'm making you do all this work is because when you know the values for each major area of your life, then when you make decisions, you will make those decisions from a place of knowing what's really important to you. Now, why is that important? It's important because when you feel like someone's not respecting your personal boundaries, now you'll know why. Now you can refer to this, these lists and go, oh, it, it feels like they're not respecting my boundaries because my number one value in career is to get a job that reflects my level of intelligence or level of education or whatever. And this allows you to weigh all your decisions and start honoring yourself from a place of knowing exactly what you want in life. Now, there's an umbrella over all of this that will make this work or not. You have to be in a more autonomous place to make this work, especially for the direction you're trying to go. If your parents still have authority in your life to make decisions that affect you, for example, if you're still living with them or they're paying for you or they paid for your college or they have some say, you are going to have to give in a little if you want to keep this relationship healthy and happy. But here's what you can do. Here's what you can do to come to an agreement or as close to an agreement as you can. And this is negotiating 101. Are you ready? <laughs> Talk to your parents and find out why it's important to them for you to get any job. And find out all the reasons you can. Just go into a conversation with them as if you were a counselor asking questions. So why is it important that I get any job? And then they'll tell you. I have a feeling I know what they're going to say, <laughs> but I'll leave that as a place of self-discovery for you. And then just find out all the reasons they want you to get a job. And then when they're, they've exhausted all those reasons, now you can speak, okay, let me tell you my reasons that I don't want to get just any job and ask them to hear you out. Hopefully they're reasonable and they'll listen. Now, it's possible you're going to stay in disagreement at this point. But here's the tricky part, and this is where the negotiating comes in. What you need to do is find a way to meet or fulfill their need for you. 
if you can meet them at the outcome they want, doing it your way, that's when you can reach agreement. For example, if they say, we want you to get any job so you can just make an income and survive, so when you get the job that you want, you can at least have made some money and shown some independence. And that gives you an opportunity to go, okay, their need is for me to make money and be independent. Remember in the previous segment, we talked about chunking up. And that means getting the bigger picture of a situation or a scenario like this. So when you chunk up what their overall needs are, you're able to get the bigger picture of what they're looking for. So maybe you can meet them at the outcome, meet them at that bigger picture. So you ask yourself, how can I meet their need while still honoring my boundaries or while still having some sort of agreement in the middle, some sort of common ground? Now, if you don't care about making money or being independent, that's a whole different story. But my thought is that since you went to college, you probably want to get a job and make money or at least make money somehow. So the idea is to meet them at a place where you still can make money and show your independence, but do it in the way that you want to do it. Now, I don't know the way, but the idea is for you to meet their needs and for them to meet yours. So you have to find a common ground. If they want you to make money and be independent, I'm assuming that you want to make money too and probably want to be independent someday, if you're not already, then where can you meet in the middle? What is your common ground? Can you get part-time work? I mean, I can't give you specific advice, but when you think about all your values that you wrote down for family, what's most important about family? I'm sure, you know, having a peaceful, friendly time is somewhere in there worded somehow. So if that's really important to you, then you'll find a place to meet in the middle. You may want to even ask for further details from your parents saying, how much money should I make before it satisfies your needs or however you want to ask it. They may not have a number, but find out the reasons they want you to have a job. It may not even have to do with money. It may have to do with a totally different reason that you haven't even thought of yet. So it's very important to find out exactly why they want you to do it instead of just assuming that you know why they want you to do it. And when it comes to your personal boundaries, the only thing I can say there is that if you feel like you're still under the authority of your parents or anyone, personal boundaries are harder to honor. That's because someone has control of your life. This is with anyone. If you're in a relationship with someone who's abusive or very dominating over you, it's harder to honor your personal boundaries without taking a stand and usually leaving usually becoming more independent. How do you honor your personal boundaries? You get away from the people that have any control over you. Or you stay, you honor them, and see what happens. Face the consequences. But I guarantee you, if you're living with your parents, those consequences are probably you getting kicked out. (laughs) That's just, again, my personal opinion. So that's your first part of your question. In order to honor your personal boundaries, you need to get out of the control that any authority figure still has on you, like your parents. I mean, if your personal boundaries don't coincide with theirs or if they, or if you feel like they are really not honoring your personal boundaries. And how do you get out from under their control? Well, you may need to move out if you're still living there. 
Or because you're an adult now, you can just say, you don't run my life anymore. This is my chance to prove myself or fail. And that's really what it comes down to. If you are on your own, this is your chance to succeed or fail. But do it the way you believe you need to do it and take any advice along the way that you feel will help you. But if you really want to be autonomous and independent in life, then take action and make decisions that will prove to yourself that you can make this happen, that you can take care of yourself. And you're going to fail. You're going to do things that don't work. But that's how you learn. That's how you gain experience and especially wisdom. And as life goes on, you'll succeed more and more as long as you take those lessons from your experience and apply them to anything that happens in the future. So part one out of the way. Let's look at part two. All right, part two. The second problem is my relationship with a certain family member is currently on the rocks. I feel as if I have tried to resolve the conflict, but I haven't actually went as far to let her know that I think there's a problem. She's not a very open person and does not usually display her affection outwardly, at least to me. I want to repair this relationship, but I don't know how. I do think a good first step would be to admit that there is a problem, but I don't know where to go from there. When it comes to people that you have trouble communicating with and you want to have a relationship with them, the best place to come from is I feel. Always keep the finger pointed back at you and keep the focus on you. I mean, you can start by saying, I feel like you don't like me and I want to get along with you. So if I've done anything to offend you, I apologize. That's always a great starting point. And a lot of times you'll find that the person doesn't feel the same way you feel. They might say, what? I like you. Of course, that's not true. Maybe I'm just a quiet person or whatever. So yeah, you can admit that there's a problem. I wouldn't say that there's a quote problem, but I would say, Start with an I feel statement. I feel like you don't like me and I want to have a good relationship with you. So I apologize if I offended you. And then the conversation will certainly grow organically from there. Now, she could say, what I like you, you're fine. And that's it, (laughs) which leaves a lot of questions, but no answers. So what do you do from there? All you can do is be the best you around her that you can. You can't change anyone. You can't change how they feel or what they think. All you can do is be the best you around her as you can. And every now and then, if you see her doing something that she might need help, just ask, hey, do you need help with that? If she says, no, I'm fine, walk away. Great. Just ask me if you need help and just walk away. There's really not much you can do with people who aren't very communicative or don't seem to like you very much. All you can do is just be kind, be yourself, be authentic, and don't take offense. You know, there's people in our life that have issues themselves. We all have issues. We all have our own issues. And we have to deal with them in our own way. And the best thing you can do is be yourself, be authentic, because what that does is it shows her who you are inside and out. It just shows that you're just this authentic, genuine person and especially that you're not a threat. If you're a threat in any way, that's why people close off. And I don't mean physical threat, although I hope she doesn't think that, but any type of threat. And people evaluate threat differently. For example, 
you're walking down the street and you see a bunch of hoodlum looking people with their pants half down and scarves over their head. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it does give you the appearance of, hey, this looks like a dangerous gang or something. And if you have that appearance in your head, you might detect it as a threat. So you might be a little standoffish. You may not make eye contact and you might just want to keep walking or walk into a building because you don't want to have to deal with that. And they could be completely innocent, fun people, but you don't know that because you assessed the group as a threat. Uh, Just like she might assess you as a threat, not in the same way, but in the way that she is not able to handle something about you. And this could be anything that you do, consciously or unconsciously, and it may be something that you don't do. Maybe you don't do something that she doesn't like or finds a threatening in some way. And a threat could be anything. A threat could be anything from a simple look or gesture. It could be something that you say that maybe someone in her life said to her once that was threatening or that came from a dangerous person. We all carry baggage around with us. So you have to remember that her baggage should not be taken by you personally. No one's baggage should be taken by you personally. Even if they end up yelling, even if the person ends up yelling at you or giving you dirty looks, it's still their baggage. It's still something that they're carrying around with them and has nothing to do with you. Even if it's directly to do with you, it still really has nothing to do with you because it's how they handle the situation. Some people handle the situation by speaking outwardly, going, you know what, when you give me that look, it looks like you're angry at me. I mean, this is an honest assessment. You know, when you give me that look, it looks like you're angry with me. And then you can talk about it and then maybe it'll extinguish the situation. But some people swallow that and go, wow, that person just looked at me and he looked angry. I better stay back and not talk to that person. And then if she did something like that, she's going to hold on to it. So I do agree with you. First thing is just tell her using an I feel statement. I feel like you are upset with me and I just want to apologize if there's anything that I've done to offend you. And just leave it there. If she says, no, you haven't offended me, you're fine. Then just go, okay, great. You know, if you ever want to talk, let me know and just walk away. You know, it's, it's, it almost sounds like she's still standoffish at that point, but at least you've told her, hey, I'm safe, I'm not going to do anything, and I have good intentions. So when somebody knows that about you, then it's up to them. It empowers them to make the decision to next approach you. And will that relationship ever get repaired? Who knows? All you can do is be yourself, and hopefully you're a fun and loving person, And there's nothing to really be offended by with you. But if you're just honest and authentic, then it shows her that you're safe. And then when she's ready, she will open up to you. So there's my advice there. Now, this last question that you have has to do with, should I go to graduate school now or should I wait and save some money? You say you prefer the first one so you can start graduate school earlier, which is what you originally planned. But you could probably see the benefit in both. This one's easy. This one is sort of along the same lines as finding out what's most important to you. All you have to do is write two things down and then put them in two columns. The first column will will be, if I go to graduate school now, dot, dot, dot. And the second column will be, if I wait to go to graduate school, 
dot, dot, dot. And then you finish the sentence with as many things as you can think of, both pros and cons. That's probably the easiest way to break this down. When you have a decision like this and you're not sure which one to take, identify the pros and cons of each, and then the one with the most pros wins. Just make the decision and make it happen. You can't rely on what could happen. You are never your potential in the moment. So you have to make decisions now that take you to that potential, or at least take you in the direction of that potential. So write down the pros and cons of each, count up all the pros and all the cons, and figure out which one wins, and just go with the one with the most pros. And if you still have indecision after that, then here's the end-all, be-all decision maker. And this usually works 99.9% of the time. Close your eyes, ask yourself the question, how would I feel if I went to graduate school now? And how does that feel? Does it, do you get a positive feeling or a negative feeling? And once you're done with that, clear your mind and come back to another question. How would I feel if I waited to go to graduate school and save some money first? How does that feel inside? Is it positive? Is it negative? Whatever you come up with, whatever the most positive feeling is, go with that. I know that's the most <laughs> impractical, ungrounded advice I've ever given, but there's a reason I use this technique. And it's because your subconscious mind already knows the answer. Your subconscious mind knows the answer. And your subconscious mind is responsible for how you feel about things. When you think about, you know, an animal dying in your life, when you think about that, you get a feeling in your body. It's a physical sensation. That's because your subconscious mind remembers what it felt like and activates those physical sensations in your body. Just like your subconscious mind knows the answer and knows the true direction that you really want to follow, deep down inside, you know the answer. And all you have to do is close your eyes and feel it. And then go with it. Make the decision. Take the step. Make the decision. And whether you're right or wrong, it doesn't matter because you're moving forward. Indecision is probably one of the worst places to be because it keeps you stagnant. When you make the decision, you're moving forward. So even if you make the wrong decision, great, you'll fail faster so you can succeed faster. That's how it works. Make the decision, move forward, and take control of your life. Thanks so much for writing, Bill. I hope this helps you, and I appreciate you writing to me and asking those questions. I am here to help you create the life you want. How does that sound anyway? How does that sound creating the life you want? And what does that even mean? When we create something, we put our time, our energy, our money, and everything that we can to help it come to fruition. But when I think about creating the life I want, I don't think about... Uh, manifesting money or, or material items or bringing in a perfect relationship or anything external to me. When I think about creating the life I want, I think about how can I develop and evolve in myself. In order to create the life you want, you need to start inside. You need to start 
within and evolve or what I call evolve. It may not be everyone's term, but I, I love to use the term evolve because everything that you do advances you in some way when it comes to personal growth and development. So when you start from the inside, I'm talking right at your core. When you start at that core and develop yourself from the inside, moving outward, then you get everything else that you are creating in your, that you want to create in your life. So when I say that I'm here to help you create the life you want, I help you start from the inside and grow, heal, and evolve from there. I tell you what, when you have that, when you are willing to go the distance inward, you'll get what you want in the external world. Now, the hard part is accepting that what you get in the external world is what you really want. For example, if you want a jet ski and instead you get a surfboard, it's not going to be what you thought it was and you might have that expectation crushed. And then you feel this uh, feeling of disappointment, this feeling of, darn, I wanted a jet ski, but all I got was this lousy surfboard. I guess I'll sit out there and float. And if we can accept the gifts that come into our lives, and I'm not just talking about regular gifts. I'm talking about anything that manifests in our life. If we can come to a point where we accept and enjoy what we do get, it's that gratitude thing. I never talk about gratitude, at least not often, because sometimes it's hard to be grateful for things when you haven't developed from the inside out. But if you can develop a gratitude for what you do get in your life, you don't get a jet ski, you get a surfboard. Or you don't get a surfboard, you get a fishing pole. Or you get something else that is entirely not what you wanted or not what you expected, but something that you can do something else with. Something that puts you in a different direction than you intended. Now here's the hardest part about being grateful and accepting of what you get. Almost always, what you get is more of what you need than what you want. Unless you are saving up and you're going to purchase it someday, or you've written down the perfect criteria for the perfect relationship and that perfect person to suddenly appear and be everything you want, and even then, almost always, you still get what you need. And let me tell you how that works. It works because... We all have some sort of small, medium, or large dysfunction inside of us. Now, that dysfunction is reflected back to us in the things that happen in our external world. When we meet someone, when we are in love with someone, and we get angry, or we argue, or we have heated conversations, all of our dysfunction is everything that happens in that conversation, in the sense that when we are emotionally triggered, that is a function of our dysfunction, if that makes sense. So when we get emotionally triggered, like somebody says something and it upsets us, we become charged with emotional energy, this negative energy in some way. And then we carry that with us in our conversation and sometimes through the days, weeks, and even years. The same thing happens with material items. When we get something that we weren't expecting, it wasn't what we wanted, then how does that trigger you? How does that material item trigger you in a negative way? 
if you get the surfboard instead of the jet ski, what feelings come inside of you? What shows up in your emotional state? What emotions show up? And whatever negativity comes up, disappointment, maybe there's a little bit of anger in there. Maybe there's some sadness. That is what needs to be worked on, not the external stuff. When you're focused on the external stuff instead of the internal stuff, when you're not fixing what's going on inside of you, which are your reactions, and it's not the reaction you're working on, it's the emotional intensity behind the reaction. When you're focused on the emotions behind the reactions and you choose to work and heal and grow through those, then the external stuff becomes more and more in line with what you want instead of what you need. Now, let me break this down really quick into a 30-second, if I can, a 30-second paragraph or comment, and it's this. Everything that happens to you that causes you to react negatively is there to help you heal and grow so that you create positive experiences in the future. And all that means is when you get the surfboard instead of the jet ski, if you've worked on the negative emotional energy that occurs behind the reaction, you no longer feel that negativity. And the surfboard suddenly becomes a jet ski, causing you to be grateful in a whole different way. So that's just something that was on my mind uh, recently because I uh, received a letter or an email from someone who was having uh, relationship issues. And he was experiencing some intimacy issues. And in my own experience and from everything I've learned, almost always any type of physiological intimacy experience, and I'm talking about in the bedroom, anytime there's something not working that should be working, nine out of 10 times, it's psychological. Because your psychology, your psyche, your emotional state, your thoughts, your feelings, all of that leads to your physiological state. When I was depressed, my physiological state also became depressed. And how do I know this? Because when I was depressed, I had no emotions. Everything had numbed inside my body, including parts of my body. Now, I don't want to bore you with all the gory details, but let's just put it this way. When I started to heal through my depression and get out of that state I was in, my body started working again. I thought I needed to see a urologist, but I just allowed myself to heal from within so that everything worked externally, so everything worked without. So if anything doesn't work for you in an intimacy, in a physical bonding sort of way, and I'm not just talking sexual, I'm talking about any type of physical touch that doesn't make you feel good. Either it's the person that you have an averse reaction to, or there's an actual physical ailment that you need checked out by a professional. I certainly want you to do that if you think there's something going on there. Or there's something psychological going on that you are holding in and not letting go of. That is when you suppress your thoughts, repress your emotions, causing you to be depressed. And depression isn't something that you only get diagnosed with, but it also creates a physiological response or non-response 
in your body. But the path that I took for my depression is admitting everything that I felt ashamed about, everything that I felt guilty about, everything that I was angry about, everything that I was sad about. Think of all the negative emotions that you have that you've never shared with anyone, that you felt embarrassed by telling others. Think of everything that you've wanted to express, but instead repressed it. Think of every thought that you've had that you've chosen to suppress. Think of all the emotions that you decided not to say anything and just repressed those emotions. Every time you repress an emotion, it adds to your depression. It compounds your depression. I'm not saying that you're depressed. I'm saying that when you repress emotions, it builds layer upon layer of negativity in your body and leads you to possible depression. So if you're doing that, if you're do, or if you have been doing that over the years, it's time to start honoring yourself and stop going in that direction. When you feel the need to say something, you need to say it. I realize there are times when you can't say it and you have to bite your tongue. But for the most part, honor yourself, honor your personal boundaries, express yourself, and don't allow depression to build in you. I started off this segment saying, if you want to create the life you want, you need to work on yourself on the inside. And that might mean digging through all those emotional layers to get to a point where you can feel safe in your own skin. You can feel more alive. When you start taking those layers off, those negative emotional layers, all that sadness, guilt, shame, fear, embarrassment, you'll start moving through some of this stuff. Your body will have more energy. Your thoughts will be more clear. That You won't have all this negative dialogue. This is cleaning your body of the emotional toxicity that has built up over the years. When you clear all those negative emotions out, or at least most of them, you can start creating the life you want. It's not the only way to do it, but it's what I've done. It's what I teach. And if you listen to this show enough, you're probably already on the path of doing that. So that's where I want to leave it today. Thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate you. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to close the show today with something that I like to think about quite often, and that is content versus context. Now, that sounds kind of boring, actually, when I say it that way, but it really has to do with chunking up and chunking down or looking at the big picture versus looking at all the details, just like we talked about at the beginning of the show. Now, what's important about this concept is it will help you digest situations in a different way. And what I mean is, is that it helps you change your perception about uh, an event or a person or other factors about any type of situation that you're in. For example, let's just say that your, your brother or your dad or someone ended up in jail. You know, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? What did they do, you know? Or if you know what they might have done to end up in jail, you might say, well, of course they ended up in jail. They would eventually end up in jail doing what they do. But when you step back and look at the context of everything that's going on, that's when you get the bigger picture. That's when you chunk up into more abstract concepts and ideas 
so that you can step out of the details and look at the bigger picture. And what that does is it allows you to see everything that's going on, not only in your life and in the situation, but in their life too. And when you can see the context, everything outside of the details of what is happening, you'll be able to see more of the cause and effect of everything that is happening. So the person that ended up in jail might have had a hard life. They, they may have gone through some really challenging times or maybe there was some abuse involved and they carried it with them all their life and now they ended up in jail. So it takes you out of the content or the details of what's happening where we tend to judge the most and it gives us a broader perspective of everything else that might have happened that led up to this point. Because when we jump in or chunk down into the details, we tend to judge. We tend to look at things critically. And I'm all for critical thinking. But sometimes when it turns into judgment and harsh opinions, it's better just to step out and see what else attributed to what happened in any situation. So I just want to leave you with that today is that is when you're feeling judgmental or highly opinionated about something or someone, step back and then sometimes it's even better to put yourself in their shoes and what they experienced in life and figure out, hey, I wonder if I would have made the same decisions that they did. It's just a neat perspective and it gives you a break from feeling the burden of anger or upset that we sometimes feel towards people. That doesn't excuse anyone's behavior. They're still responsible for their behavior and what they do, but maybe they're not so much uh, 100% of the blame. You know, society, family, and so many other people influence us to do things that we may not have done had they not been in our lives. So just a perspective to help you understand people a little bit more and maybe even give yourself a break from being upset when you really don't need to. So with that, I want you to step into your power and be firm in your decisions and actions so that you can create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you, you are amazing. Amazing.